Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a podcast series of short personal stories that proves that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode, entitled Tin Can Ladies, I start observing a group of older Asian women in my neighborhood collecting cans. But when my altruism becomes too much of a game, I get a message from the universe that really shakes me up. Tin Can Ladies They started to appear on the streets of Chinatown, Soho, and Noho in the early 2000s. Very old Asian women digging through the trash for tin cans to return for a refund of a few cents. I call them tin can ladies, or can ladies for short. After a day of collecting, they often have two large trash bags filled with cans, suspended at either end of a broomstick, which they balance on their shoulder. A way of carrying that's common throughout Asia, but until quite recently, is a rare sight on the streets of New York. My heart goes out to them. They're almost all short in stature, with deeply wrinkled and weathered faces from spending their days outdoors in the sun. They never bother anybody, they don't ask for money, and are seemingly invisible to everyone else on the street. I usually try to give them five or ten bucks. Some of them accept, some of them don't. On one occasion, there was a stout older Chinese woman who'd opened the lid of one of the new, tall New York City Department of Sanitation green trash barrels. She was balancing on her belly on the edge of the can with her torso, head, and shoulders down inside. I stopped nearby and held out my arm over her stiffened legs, which were sticking out, so if necessary, I could keep her from falling in. Suddenly, she popped herself out backwards and landed right in front of me on the sidewalk with her back toward me. When she turned around, she jumped with fright because I was now standing very close to her. I smiled and apologized, which she didn't seem to understand. When offered $5, she shook her head no and said with a heavy accent, No, no, this my job, this my job. Then she loaded up her bags and quickly walked away. She was the exception, though, not the rule. Usually, when I offered one of the can ladies money, they readily accepted it, bowing toward me with their hands folded as if to pray. In the early evenings, they gather in a group on a corner near my loft in Soho to wait for a beat-up, graffitied old cargo van that pulls up. Usually, it's a rough-looking young Chinese guy wearing black jeans and a hoodie who climbs out to weigh their cans. And if their angry arguments in Chinese are any indication, they often get cheated out of part of their paltry earnings. On another occasion, I observed a dark passage with one of the can ladies. I was passing down Mulberry Street in Chinatown when the door of a nice-looking building opened and one of the can ladies I recognized struggled to bring a big clear bag of cans out through the door. I held the door for her. She leaned the bag against a new black SUV. Then she went back inside for another and another and another while I watched from a distance. By the time she brought out a half a dozen, a 20-something well-dressed young Asian man came out. He opened the rear hatch door And while she loaded the bags into the vehicle, he sat in the front seat with the door open, looking at his cell phone. I couldn't help myself and said, Hey man, what's wrong with you? Letting your grandmother work like a dog 
while you sit there with your phone? He looked up at me, didn't say a word, then got out annoyed and started helping her. She looked totally fear-stricken, like she was going to catch hell as soon as I wasn't watching. I'm still not sure what to make of the whole episode. And so it was that while I sat outside a sidewalk cafe on Kenmare Street with my Nigerian model friend Obiani, a can lady stopped to work the corner trash barrel. I told my friend about my newfound interest in them and suggested that she watch to see what the can lady's reaction would be when I offered her some money. The old lady had just finished up her search and I was hurrying to reach her before she crossed the street. I stepped in front of her as she totaled her big bags and took out my wallet to offer her five bucks. She looked confused until she saw the money, and after a moment's hesitation, she took my offering. She bowed, bobbing up and down a few times quickly, as I stood with one foot on the curb and one foot in the street. At that moment, there was a loud bang as the thick, molded plastic side-view mirror of a passing Uber smacked my upper right arm, knocking me sideways. The noise was so loud that my friend sitting outside the cafe could hear it. My wallet was knocked out of my hand and I stumbled away from the impact, completely stunned and disoriented. The Uber driver, who was also Asian, initially slammed on his brakes, then tried to move his vehicle forward. I wasn't sure whether he was trying to get away or pull over, so I staggered in front of his vehicle with a number of people looking on. I was shaking so badly, I could hardly write down his license number or even see what it was, for that matter. He got out and came forward, gesturing wildly, in broken English, making the point that I was on the street when he hit me. He was almost as upset as I was, but a lot more demonstrative. He headed back toward the driver's door, and I told him not to leave or I'd call the police, a word that he definitely understood. He then pulled around me, moving forward over the curb, where his fair, a young, well-dressed millennial white woman, was standing. Having witnessed the whole event, she offered me to help by forwarding me the text with the driver's information, which was part of Uber's confirmation message to her cell. No one was sure whether the light was red or green, but everyone agreed that he was driving up against the curb to get around another car. By this time, the driver and I had each settled down a bit, and he apologized over and over again in English. His fare got into the car, and off they went. As I walked back toward my table, the old tin can lady, who had I given the money to, came up beside me and silently handed me my wallet. Bowed one last time and then hurried away with her bags. She'd been standing aside waiting, invisible during the entire incident. As Obiani and I sat down, we appreciated the humor of how badly my hey, watch this presentation had gone awry. We laughed until we cried. Meanwhile, a big red welt on my upper arm and shoulder began to swell. The next day on the Bowery, an exceptionally tall, tin-can lady with a wizened, long and wise face came walking toward me. She was carrying a single can in one hand and her bag of cans in the other. I took out a $10 bill, which I held out to her. She said in perfect English, What, do you want to buy a tin can? Holding out the can to me. I said, Sure, I'll buy your can. But then she said, I've changed my mind. I don't want your money. You're just offering it because you feel guilty. I responded, guilty about what? You know, the plight of so many people like myself you see on the street. 
So what's wrong now with my helping? I asked. She responded with a wry smile. Only if you ask me nicely. Okay, I said, also smiling. Please be so kind as to take my money. She took the ten, responding, Just don't forget, I'm doing you a favor. Well, thanks so much for the favor. With that, she turned on her heel and walked off decisively, never looking back. It was good to see a tin can lady getting back a little of her own. The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who's also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And also, if you could leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening. And if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. The characters and events portrayed in this podcast are based on my truth, with some names and facts changed for privacy. All conversations and dialogues are based on my best memory, but are not word-for-word recreations.